Blind Influence, Book One of the Blind Series, written by Linda Riesenberg Fissler. Day One, Paris, France. The alley was dark and littered with trash from the overflowing waste cans and with drunken, unconscious patrons of the saloon that was located at its end. The amber light, which seeped from the cracks in the door and boarded up windows of the dilapidated building, provided enough light for the passers-by to avoid stepping on any undesirable objects. Noise from the saloon was muffled, but still audible as it drifted down the alley to one of the many streets of Paris. A man, whose face was still handsome though hiding the youth that had been beaten from him by the life he had chosen, prepared to tiptoe his way through the maze to the saloon door. His short, dark hair blended with the misty night. The collar of his raincoat flipped up, its belt tightly securing the taunt raincoat around his sinuous body to protect his clothes beneath it. He stood at the corner of the street in the alley, surveying them both. Had he been followed? Who was waiting for him in that dark alley or in that raucous saloon? Did he have his gun loaded? He withdrew the firearm, a Beretta, checking it and his surroundings. It was now ready in case he needed it. He glanced up and down the main thoroughfare before sliding around the corner into the misty darkness of the alley towards the amber light that betrayed the presence of some of the lowest life of Paris. As he tiptoed to the door, he heard a screech. He didn't bother to look. He had heard those types of screeches before. It was a rat, something he despised intensely and saw far too often. It was beyond this well-educated, well-dressed man why Jacques preferred to squander his life in such vile places. In this man's estimation, Jacques was played rather handsomely for his information. Another screech caught the man's attention and pulled him from his thoughts. He paused as he waited to hear additional steps on the wet pavement. There were none, only the snorts and swat of a man awakened by the vile, dirty creature trying to steal a breadcrumb from his shirt. The man again started for the door of the saloon. He reached the door and breathed a quick sigh of relief. Just before placing his hand on the doorknob to enter the raunchy establishment, he took in a very deep breath. He winched from the stench, which made him wish he hadn't done that. He opened the door slowly, trying not to attract any attention with a swift movement. He entered the room cautiously, but calmly. He stood momentarily in the darkened corner at the entry of the room, surveying it and all the chaos. No one was the least bit interested in him. The room was lit with sconces and lamps, all draped with red and orange chiffon-like material. The man wasn't sure what kind of effect the owner was going for, but he was quite sure he had walked into a badly reproduced opera. The amber light danced with the smoke created by just about any type of smoking device he could think of, all being used by various patrons of the bar. In one corner of the room was a very badly abused grand piano, which was annoyingly out of tune. Most of the patrons were around this piano, while a sloppily dressed, overweight woman sang as if she were an opera diva, complete with fan and headdress, 
screeching a very bad rendition of Costa Diva Aria, which sprang from her heavily red lipstick-laden mouth. Like fingernails scratching down a chalkboard, the woman's attempt at singing grated on the man's nerve. As a shrill sound of a high note accosted the man's ear, he turned his head to see a darker area, far from the offending racket of the opera impersonators who, he surmised, were pretending to be performing at Covet Garden. As the man reached the darkened corner booth, he untied his coat and slid onto the stained and tattered velvet bench, his back to the wall, facing the door to the saloon. His form seemed to disappear into the darkness, his hands seen only as he called the bartender over to the booth. He thought of ordering gin when the bartender arrived, but somehow felt whiskey was more appropriate. He found that thought strangely odd, but it didn't matter anyway. He had no intention of drinking it. Shortly after the bartender returned with his shot, a short Frenchman, complete with at least a three-day growth on his face and the body odor to match, slid into the bench across from the smartly-dressed man. The Frenchman smiled, wrinkled the skin around his eyes, and revealed missing teeth. Monsieur Adams, the Frenchman, greeted the man, eyeing the shot of whiskey. Jacques? Atkins adjusted the collar of his coat as he watched Jacques begin to salivate. Jacques's eyes never strayed from the whiskey. Consider it an advance, Sean Atkins added in his proper English accent, a stark conflict to Jacques's very common broken English. Some advance, Jacques retorted, grabbing the shot. You know like whiskey anyway. He threw his head back as he downed the shot. Sean smiled. What do you have for me? I have some information on your blue-eyed friend, Monsieur. Jacques paused as the bartender arrived to take the drink order from Jacques. Bring two more whiskeys, Jacques instructed the bartender. Bring the bottle, Sean corrected. The bartender left to retrieve the bottle. You are very good to me. That is why I work so hard for you, no? Jacques said. You have been very helpful in the past. I've yet to hear what you have for me today. The bartender returned with the bottle. He set it on the marred table, placing a second shot glass in front of Sean. Jacques was still fondling the first glass. The bartender waited to be paid as Sean eyed Jacques and his nervousness. Jacques was almost too anxious for the drink, and this piqued Sean's curiosity. Monsieur, it is the policy, the bartender began. Yes, I'm sorry. Sean pulled out some cash and peeled off a handsome amount of money to pay for the bottle and secure their privacy. There is extra for you. I trust you won't bother us or remember. I don't remember anything or anybody. It is how I stay alive, the bartender answered as he walked away. Jacques grabbed the bottle and began to pour himself a shot, licking his lips. You will be pleased with what I have for you today, Monsieur, Jacques said, and then downed the shot, winching as the cheap alcohol burned his throat. He wiped his mouth on his dirty sleeve. Jean watched as he poured the third drink. This behavior was very strange indeed. Although Jacques enjoyed the benefits of drinking, Jean had never considered him to be an alcoholic, and this behavior was that of an alcoholic, or someone drinking to seek comfort from something terrible, something haunting. Had Sean's blue-eyed friend double-crossed his stoolie, his informant, or was Jacques about to double-cross him?
Jean confidently and covertly looked around the saloon. The very bad opera was continuing. No one seemed out of place. And yet Jacques threw his head back, winching after his third shot of what Jean figured was close to grain alcohol. Well? Jacques had began to pour his fourth shot when Jean tipped the bottleneck up in Jacques's hand. The meaning was clear. Your friend left for America this morning, Jacques spat out quickly and then forced his hand to pour another drink. Very quickly and effectively, Sean wrestled the bottle out of Jacques's hand, applying just the right amount of pressure around the wrist. Jacques grimaced and released the bottle. He looked up at Sean as the Englishman placed the bottle just out of his reach, continuing to hold it. Jacques's eyes moved from the bottle along Sean's raincoat sleeve to his face, which showed a flash of anger. Sean was trying very hard to control that anger, which was welling up inside him. This morning? Sean asked through clenched teeth. We? Oui, Jacques answered, again licking his lip and fidgeting in his seat. And you waited until now to tell me this? I question your loyalty to me, Jacques. Well, sure, I am offended. I called you at your hotel this morning. You did not return my call until 5.30 this evening. I have been here waiting for you ever since. You are the one who is late. This is not my fault. Jean knew Jacques was telling the truth, but it didn't make it any easier, and it certainly wasn't calming his anger down. He had been tracking down a bad lead. The frustration of knowing that he had again been misled by informants he thought were more reliable than Jacques was just one more way the serpent kept one step ahead of him. Jean had given the blue-eyed serpent a full day's head start to America, had he not been in the French countryside stalking out a chateau where he had been told the serpent was vacationing, he would instead be on a plane, hot on the serpent's trail. He ran the fingers of his free hand through his hair as his other hand continued to hold Jacques's precious nectar. Jean inhaled deeply, trying to calm his mind. Where? Jacques eyed the bottle. He knew that the next answer was not to be given to Sean immediately and without some difficulty. The serpent had been quite clear on that, and Jacques needed to think how to throw him off that thought. My memory is not too good. Maybe another drink? Sean felt his blood pressure climb rapidly as if his head was about to burst from anger. He was going to lose control quickly if Jacques continued his stupid cat-and-mouth's game. Through clenched teeth and desperate attempts to keep his voice civil, Sean spoke slowly. You better think harder, my friend. You are not getting another drink until you tell me where in America your employer has gone. Jacques sat back. He had never seen Sean so angry. Jacques hadn't realized that Sean knew he was working for the serpent. He wondered what his employer had done to make Sean react so, to harbor this much hate for him. Jacques was merely following orders that had been given to him, just as he had done many times in previous years. He saw no reason why this reaction was warranted. His employer had never given him any reason to suspect that Sean would be this angry. 
The serpent's instructions had been to tell Sean only that the serpent had gone to America to make Sean work for the information on the general area that the serpent was traveling to. Then Jacques would be paid handsomely, and his family would be spared. He did not tell me where, monsieur. Sean eyed Jacques with contempt. He knew now that the serpent had led him on a wild goose chase again to cover his escape to America. Was it an escape? It didn't matter. Sean knew that Jacques knew more. Jacques had to know what city the serpent was landing in right this minute. Jacques may not know where the assassin would go after the serpent's plane had landed. The serpent enjoyed allowing Sean this close. It was their game, and the serpent wasn't about to end it. Sean's green eyes flashed only a hint of the anger he was now harboring as he realized that Jacques had been a part of this ploy all along. He began to pour the two shot glasses full of whiskey. He let the, a little maniacal laugh leave his lips. He poured the second shot glass full, the glass closest to Jacques. He let the precious nectar flow over the glass and onto the marred table while letting another maniacal laugh leave his lips. The whiskey began to slip through the cracks and rush to the end of the table. It began dripping onto the disgustingly dirty floor to the horror of Jacques' disbelieving eyes. Scared by the scene unfolding before him, Jacques tried to stop the wastefulness of his precious liquid. Jean had never heard him before. Jacques felt Jean would not do so now. He wanted that whiskey to forget about his miserable life and his failures to care for and support his family. Earlier in the day, he had pleaded with the serpent in Jacques' home. The serpent had fondled his children, threatening his wife's life to ensure that the serpent's message to Sean was completely understood. Jacques had pleaded with his serpent that this would be his last errand in this fool's game. The serpent had agreed. Jacques had wanted to celebrate that the serpent's hold on him would be ending in the bottle Sean was now wasting. As he reached for the bottle, Sean smashed it on the side of the table, sending glass and whiskey in all directions. Jacques shielded his eyes, or tried, but Sean had grabbed the collar of his shirt in front by his neck and with his free hand. In the rush of adrenaline from his anger, Sean lifted Jacques off the seat of the bench and suspended him over the table. Jacques began to whimper, but none of this was heard over the opera being screeched from across the room. Jean brought the jagged edge of the bottle up to Jacques's neck. Is it getting any clearer? Jean started spitting out the last two words. My friend. Monsieur, please, I have a wife and children. Sean wondered if Jacques had pleaded with the serpent as he was pleading now, a fleeting thought that didn't persuade Sean for one moment. I know that, Jacques. Do you think I give a fuck about them? Does the serpent? What I don't know is where in America he is. Marshal, please, I do not know. Do you think your life is any more important to me than it is to the serpent? Do you think I care if you live or die? Sean began to press the jagged edge of the bottle into Jacques's neck. 
Why do you treat me so? Yes, I believe you are a better person than this serpent. But that is not the issue. I do not know where he's going. Please, I do not know. Jacques began to whimper more loudly as tears began to fill his eyes. Sean forced the jagged edge deeper, and blood began to run from the wound. Can you feel how close I am to ending your life, Jacques? Jacques let a little scream escape from his lips, but the position of Sean's hand on his throat kept it from being audible by anyone except Sean. Sean's voice was cold, calm, and portrayed how ruthless he could be. Where is he, Jacques? The stakes were too high for Jacques. He wanted this nightmare to be over. He wanted to never be bothered by either of these two evil men again. Washington, Jacques answered in defeat. State or city, Sean asked, keeping Jacques suspended in the moment. Washington, D.C., Jacques said, almost in a state of panic, wondering if Sean was going to take his life anyway. Please, monsieur, I beg you, I know no more, Jacques said as tears began to stream down his face. No more. Sean held him a moment longer, staring into his eyes. Then he sent Jacques's quivering body to the back of the booth. Jacques reached for and felt the blood that was trickling out of the small cut on his throat. You have never treated me this way before, Jacques looked at Sean, stunned. In the years that he had been playing this double-crossing informant game, he had never thought that Sean could be so mean, so deadly, so cold-blooded. It is what made Sean different from the serpent. But now, something was different in Sean. Something must have snapped. Why? It was the only question Jacques could form as his eyes welled up with tears again. Sean stood. He threw some money on the table. He looked at Jacques. Maybe you better decide whose side you're on, Jacques. I'm tired of being fucked with. Sean began to take a step, then stopped. If the serpent was with your family today, if they saw him, then I pity them for what he did to them after you left with this information that you were paid so handsomely to give me. He looked at the broken bottle in his hand. Your life is worthless. With that, Sean walked to the door and quit the saloon. Outside, he smashed the remaining part of the bottle by throwing it against the wall. He flipped up his collar. He wrapped his coat around him to protect himself from the elements of the Parisian night. He wiped the remains of the whiskey from his face as he began to walk out of the alley. With each step, his mind raced. He began to make a list of things he needed. By the time he reached the street, he was almost in a dead run. Just as he reached the head of the alley, he heard screams from behind. It was Jacques, screaming the names of his wife and children. Sean was right. The serpent spared no one, not even Jacques. The Frenchman's days were numbered. Sean ran to his hotel through the Paris night air. He had to get to America, and only one person could keep him from doing so. This person couldn't stop Sean if he went directly to Washington. Yes, Sean would go directly to Washington. It was the only way.